if you hadn't guessed, today we're going to be talking about money. So uh, we're going to do a short two-week series uh, about money. And so today's uh, passage, uh, our kind of topic is we're going to talk about how the money is not the root of all evil. Okay, so uh, it's interesting when I think about money, and I had mentioned this before, that I think a lot of churches, either they talk too much about money or they never talk about money, right? And it's hard to find a good balance in between. But I feel like we should have a good balance and actually not be afraid to kind of discuss money. A lot of times it's like kind of like a taboo sometimes to talk about money with family, with other things. But I think in the church, we need to talk about it because money is actually an important part of our lives. It's a really big part of our lives. We deal with money all the time, right? Whether we're going into school to learn about things to get a job to earn money or whether we're working and we're earning money for ourselves or earning money for other people, whether we're like out and about, we're going to the grocery store, we're spending money, we go to Starbucks, we buy a drink, we're spending money, we're like using money, thinking about money. Money is kind of like all around us. This is something that is important for us to think, how do we view this as Christians? How should we view money? Okay, so we're going to, again, like, we're going to have a, a short two-part series we're going to do today. Uh, next week, like Eliza said, we're going to have a special speaker uh, who's actually going to be a retreat speaker. So Pastor Sam, another Pastor Sam. So you'll have another Pastor Sam next Sunday uh, speaking. And then we'll have the second of our two-week finance series the week following. Okay? Okay, so today I wanted to share a little bit about my perspective about money. So let's take a look at this first passage. This first passage is found in Matthew 25, verses 14 to 16. Okay, so this is one of the passages that God really used to speak to me about the importance of money. Okay? And I don't know about you. I don't know if you've heard this. You probably have heard this. You probably maybe even said this if you've been a Christian a while. I know I've said this many, 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 many times, which is this. At the end of my life, what I really want is for God to come to me and say, good and faithful servant, well done. Have you heard that before? Have you said that before? Have you thought that before? Well, if you've been a Christian a while, you may have probably heard that before. I've said, like I said, many times I've said that. Okay? But where does that come from? It actually comes from this passage. Okay? Matthew, 14, Matthew 25, verse 14. For it is just like a man who is about to go on a journey who called his slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. Okay, so let's stop right there. Okay, so we see that a man is going to go out on a journey. He's calling his servants or slaves to, to come, and then he's entrusting them each with a certain amount. Okay, five talents, two talents, and one talent. Okay, so I've heard talents talk about like your ability, but literally talent is actually a denomination of money. Okay, so in the biblical time when Jesus is there, a talent is, is equivalent to like a year's wage. Okay, so when he says he's giving five talents to this person, he's not giving them some ability to sing or dance. He's giving them money. Okay, he's giving them a sum of money. So like if a year's wage is like, I don't know, let's make it easy, like 50000 Okay, he's giving the first person 
$250,000. That's a lot of money. Next person he's giving them two talents. He's giving them $100,000. And the last person he's giving them one talent, $50,000. Okay, just in our kind of made up scenario. Okay, so just to understand what's happening here. Okay, he's giving the first one 250,000, the second 100,000, and the last one 50,000. Okay, then it says he went on his journey. Then he goes away. Okay, after he gives them this sum of money. And immediately the one who had received five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. He started with 250,000, he invested it, and he got another $250,000. Okay, that's what the story says, right? Then we're going to fast forward the story, and then we're going to see what happens when the master of the house comes back. Okay, the master of the house back says, now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came, to, came up and brought five more talents saying, master, you entrusted five talents of money to me. See, I have gained five more talents. Okay, then we have verse 21. The master said to him, well done. Good and faithful slave, you are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Good and faithful. Well done. These are the things that we want to hear at the end of our life. What's the context of when Jesus says good and faithful? It's with money. This passage is about money. So when you hear that term about good and faithful servant, good and faithful, you've been faithful with these things, it's in the context of money. This is how important God is saying are entrusting us with money. You know, when we look at this topic of money, I, I always have this saying that money makes people funny, right? That, that's a saying that I have, money makes people funny, right? Because when you bring up this whole issue of money, People get kind of weird sometimes. I remember talking with a friend of mine, and we've known each other for like a long time, like for many, many, many years, but um, the topic of money has actually never come up in our conversation. We didn't, never talked about it. But I remember this one particular day, this money, I don't even remember how it came up, but this money topic came up, and then I saw a side of my friend that I had never seen before. Usually this person is like very like calm, chill, relaxed kind of person. But then they got a little bit like aggressive, right? When they're talking to me, I'm like, what just happened here? This was kind of weird, right? What is going on here once we started talking about money? And it's funny, like you see, kind of see this like hidden side of people when different things come out. So there's two things where I see is like, one is when people are driving, right? Especially when people are driving by themselves. If you had a little, little camera to watch them when they're driving, you're like, who's that person? <laughs> I've never seen that come out. And the other one is like, when this money issue comes up, right? So I think that when we think about money, the Bible says it's very important, but it's something that we have to address inside of our own heart, right? Because we all have some kind of issues or experiences with money, okay? Whether good or bad, okay? We all kind of carry those going into. And it's important for us to realize that. We kind of carry some of those things that we need to address. Okay, so one of the things I wanted to address here is um, this passage here. Okay, and this really to me is the passage that really highlights 
the importance the Bible places on money. Okay, it's in Matthew 6, 24. It says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth, or God and money, or God or mammon, depending on the translation. This is very eye-opening to me in a lot of different ways, right? Jesus is saying is that these two things are like in opposition to each other, right? These things are like polar opposites, right? He, and he's saying, so extreme here, is he saying, he's saying, you can't serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, you're going to be devoted to the one and despise the other. That seems pretty harsh. That seems very extreme. He's saying about God and money, either you're going to love money and hate God, or you're going to love God and you're going to despise mammon or wealth. Okay? This is pretty extreme, right? But I think what he's saying here really sparks the importance for us. We need to have our heart right about this idea about money. Okay, so I want to try to unpack this a little bit because I think you could, you could get the wrong kind of idea about here. And uh, to help us with that, I want us to look at what I think is one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. And it's the title of today's message, and it comes from 1 Timothy 6.10. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Okay? This is not the way you usually hear it. Usually you hear it. Money is the root of all evil. Have you heard that? Money is the root of all evil? Money is not the root of all evil. Look at the verse again. What does it say? It says, the love of money is the root of all evil. Money itself is not evil. Money is neutral. Money is a tool that you can use that God can use. It's like a hammer. A hammer is not evil. The hammer is not the root of all evil. But I can use a hammer for good. Good purposes, I can use a hammer and build a house or build a church or build something. I can use a hammer that way. Or I could use a hammer and crack you over the head. <laughs> the hammer is the same hammer in both cases. It's not the hammer that's the root of all evil. It's how you use it. That's the same thing with money. Money is a tool. Money is something that you're supposed to use. And it's how your heart relates to money, how you use money that determines if it's evil or bad or good. This is very important. We have to get rid of this idea because we could look at that other passage and think money is evil, right? When, when we look at this uh, Matthew 6.24, it's easy to come out with that conclusion. God is good. Money is evil. No. God is good. And when we make money our God, it's evil. Those are the things in competition. It's not God and money. It's God and making money our God that are in opposition. Okay? And what I always say is this, is that we want money to serve us. We don't want to serve money. Let me say it again. We want money to serve us and our purposes and our values we don't want to serve money. 
But oftentimes that's what happens. We end up serving money. And that's why the Matthew 6.24 is very important. When it comes to us serving money, then really we make money our God instead of having God be our God. That's the really the crux of what we need to understand. It's not money. Money is not bad. Money is not evil. Money is necessary. Money is important. Money can be a blessing, but it's how you use it, how you perceive it. How does it have a hold on you on your life? Does it drive your decisions? Is it what you're thinking about? Does it cause you anxiousness and worry all the time? Is it your primary focus and the things that keep you up at night? Is it the things that grab your heart and the things that are driving your decisions? I think when I look at money, it is one of the primary hindrances for people being directed by God into the place where he wants them. That happened with me. I shared before about how I was at a church for 15 years, uh, Catalyst, and how I loved that church. That church was like, literally like my family, even more family than my actual family. That's how I felt about this church, right? They were there for me when I was going through tragedy. They were going through me so much difficulty, and they were there. It's funny, even my, my father-in-law was saying, like, when we're going through this difficult time and seeing the church, like, constantly there for us, saying, like, wow. You guys are so blessed to have this, uh, this church family. And I said, I know. I know. So I share that because you can imagine what it took for me to leave that church. It was pretty, it had to be, God had to speak really clearly and really loudly and really often, right? When he kept speaking to me about this ministry of Standing Stone that I eventually started to join, about ministering to other pastors, and ministering to missionaries, and ministering to the people who are ministering to other people. And that was very clear to me, very strong. You know what was the biggest hesitation for me to saying yes to that? It wasn't leaving my church. It wasn't doing all those things, although that was a huge part. It was that when I joined Standing Stone, there's no salary. You have to raise your own support. So when I started, I'm going to have zero. And it's not like I made a whole bunch of money. Like if I wanted to make a whole bunch of money, I wouldn't become a pastor. That's not the reason you become a pastor. It's not like I was making a whole bunch of money as a pastor. And that's what I was worried about. It's like, but it was a regular salary. It's something that I got every month. And now I won't have that. And I don't know where it's going to come from. I don't know if I'm going to have that same salary. I don't know if I'm going to have any salary. I don't know who's going to support me. It is a hindrance. And I think that those kind of fears, those kind of thoughts, hinder us in the decisions we make. Sometimes we're in a place longer than we're supposed to. Sometimes we're doing things we're not supposed to be doing because it's driven by money. It's driven by fear. It's driven by insecurity. It's driven by control. It's driven by these things that the Bible is warning about. I mentioned this stat before that, did you know that Jesus speaks more about money than any other topic? More than any other topic, right? And I want to clarify that because I've mentioned that stat before, so I don't want you to get the wrong idea. It's not that he thinks and is teaching about money all the time, because when you read the Gospels, you probably don't get that sense he's teaching about money all the time. But he uses the illustration of money and resources a lot because it's so important in our everyday life. 
And I think it's important for us to have the right perspective about money. So money can be a blessing and not a curse. Let me say it again. We need to have the right perspective on money so money can be a blessing and not a curse and not a burden. Not something that hinders us and controls us, but something that frees us, that we can be free. That we can make money serve us and serve God instead of us serving money. Okay, let's look, at a, let's look at this passage here in Luke chapter 16. I think this is helpful. Um, this is actually, okay, so if the other passage in 1 Timothy 6.10 is one of the most misinterpreted passages, I think this one is the, one of the most difficult passages to understand, at least on the surface, okay? Uh, Luke 16, verse 1. It says, now he was also saying to the disciples, this is Jesus speaking, there was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And so he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. Okay? So Jesus is kind of giving this illustration, right? And in this illustration, there's this rich man. Okay, there's this like master, and whenever you see kind of this illustration of this parable, usually the master is who? Master represents God. Okay, so keep that in mind as we go through the story, the master represents God. So the master is calling in his manager, and he's saying, what is this I hear about you? You're basically saying, you're a terrible manager. You can't be my manager anymore. I'm going to fire you. Okay, so then the manager... He starts reacting, and he says to himself, he's talking to himself, I do that too, talk to myself, and I say, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? And I, I really love his honesty. Look what he says. He says, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do so that when I'm removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. Okay, so he has a plan. Okay, he's going to get fired. Or maybe he did get fired. He's going to get fired. And so he says, okay, before I lose my job, I have a plan in place. Okay, and this is what his plan is. He's going to start going to people that's been on his account, his like, his uh, kind of people that he's been going to for the, on behalf of the master. Look what he does. This is kind of smart, actually, he says. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors. And he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, I owe a hundred measures of oil, like a hundred gallons of oil. Okay. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Okay. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. Okay. Think about this for a second, right? Okay, so he's a manager. He's in, a, he's a, he's in charge of all the, like the, the rich man's accounts, right? And so the rich man has all of these different goods. He has like oil and weed and all these different deal, dealings, right? And then he's going to these different people who owe the master money, and he says to the first person, how much do you owe? He said like 100, 100 measures of oil. And he says, take your bill and sit down and write it 50. Wait a minute. How can he do that? How is this going to be actually helpful for him? Like, if he really owes 100, how is he going to get away with it if he puts down 50? 
right? Or if this other person owes 100 measures of wheat and he just writes down 80, how is that going to help him? Right? So when the master or the, the rich man finds out that these people have done it, how is that going to be helpful for him? How are these people going to be on his side and seeing that he's done him like this good service or this good favor? Right? That's what's a little confusing here. Like, what is exactly going on? Until you start realizing, oh my gosh, the reason this is working is because this guy is so crooked. He's making the bill so inflated that when you cut it in half, he's actually saying what you really, you think you owe 100, but you only owe 50. I've kind of changed the books and I made it 100. And why does he do that? That extra 50, where does it go? <laughs> Into his pocket. And I think that's what the rich man found out. That's what, the, man, that's what the, the wealthy man found out, is that the manager had been doing this. So what he does is like, I'm going to forego my commission <laughs> that I've kind of created for myself and make them feel like I'm doing them this great favor so I could earn their favor. So he goes to the first person and says, how much do you owe? I owe 100 measures of oil. He said, make it 50. Don't worry, I'll, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. Make it 50. And then the 100 measures of wheat, make it 80. I'm not sure why he only gets 20% discount. The other guy's 50. I don't know why. But he gets 20% discount saying, I'll do you. I'll do you solid. Don't worry about it. I got it. I got it. Just write down 80 and you'll be good. Right? And so this is what he does. Okay? Okay. Then we look at what the master comes back and says. Okay, so the master sees what he does, and look at what the master says after the manager does this. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. What? <laughs> I don't get this, right? We just said that the, the master is supposed to represent in the story God, right? So it looks like God is like praising this dishonest manager. Is that what's happening here? It is what's happening here. He is praising the dishonest manager. But the question is, what is he praising him for? What is he looking at the manager and saying, wow, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good what you did. What is he praising him for? He's not praising him because he's dishonest or unrighteous. He's praising him because he acted shrewdly. He's saying, you acted really shrewdly. You're, you looked at your situation, you looked at what's ahead in your future, and you were pretty smart about it. That's what the manager is saying here. Saying, or that's what the master is saying here. He's saying, you knew you were going to lose your job. You knew what was going to happen in the future. You acted pretty smart. That's what he's saying. Okay, but he doesn't stop there. Look at what he says. He says, and the master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. Because he said, for the sons of this age, or the sons of this world, or the people of this world, are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light, than the people of God. He's saying, the people of the world, they're smarter, more shrewd, more cunning, more intelligent with dealing with the things of this world than the people of light, the people of God, the people, my children. 
Then he says, and I say to you, you need to be like this dishonest manager. You need to make friends for yourself by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. What is he talking about? What is he talking about here? Basically, he's saying this. He's saying, look at this dishonest manager. He obviously has no relationship with me. He's not one of the children of light. He's like the, the children of this world is what he was saying. But look how smart he is. He knows what's going on. He knows what's happening in the future. So because he knows what's happening in the future, he's really smart about it. And that's what he's, he's recognizing. He's saying, these people are really smart. He's taking care of what's going to go on. He's making sure that he earns these friends. He does what he can to try to earn their favor and to try to let, get these friends to like him so that when he doesn't have a job, that these people will welcome him into, his ho into their homes. They'll say, you did me so right. You did me this great favor. You really took care of me. So now let me take care of you. Come, come stay in my house. Come eat my food. Come sleep in my, in my room. That's what he's saying. And then Jesus is saying, the master is saying, can you look at this? Can you see how smart the world operates according to the worldly stuff? Can you see how smart and cunning they are in trying to make money? And try to, even in this case, by dishonest means, by thinking about the system, how the system works, how these things operate. Can you see how cunning they are in trying to get their goals and the things that they want to accomplish in this world, this unrighteous wealth that they're accumulating? Do you see how cunning they are, how shrewd they are in that? Do you see how smart they are in making up all these different schemes, working around the system about how they can cut corners here or how they can do all of these different... Do you see how smart they are? They're much smarter than you guys when you should be more smart than they are because you have a relationship with God, the God who has all and knows all. You should be smarter than they are. Look at how they are with unworldly things, I mean with worldly things, with unrighteous things. You should be even more shrewd with your money. That's what he's saying. Just like the dishonest manager knew what was happening in the future, he knew what was going to unfold ahead of him, and then he acted on it. He's saying the same thing for the children of light. You know what the end of the story is. You know where you're going to be. You know you're going to end up in a place that goes forever, that's eternal, and that's not temporary like this world is. Look at, this, look at the last verse. It says again, and I say to you, Make friends for yourself too, kind of similar like the dishonest manager, by means of the same money, of the same un, un, unrighteous wealth that the dishonest manager was using, so that when it fails, because it will fail, money will fail. If you trust money, it will fail. And so when it fails, they will receive you into not their earthly dwellings, into eternal dwellings. He's saying, I don't want you to make friends like this dishonest manager did because he's only thinking about what's happening here on earth. He's only looking after his temporal life and what's happening right now. That's all he's concerned about. That's all he knows. He is smart about it, but that's all he knows. Jesus is saying, 
but you know more. You know that this world is not our home. You know that the physical life here is not it. That's not our home. Our home is actually with the Lord. Our home is in heaven. So look at what he's saying here. You need to use your money smartly like this person did. You need to use your money, but for a different purpose, for eternal purpose. You need to use your money for eternal purposes that are really going to take care of things. And look at what he says. Just like the the friends that he's making with the the person who owed the oil and the wheat would welcome them into into their houses, look at what he's saying. If you do the same thing and use your money to bless other people and to use things for eternal impact, that when you get to heaven, what's going to happen? There, those same people that you loved with your money, they're going to invite you and welcome you into their eternal dwelling. Do you see what he's saying here? This is actually pretty powerful. He's saying when you can see your money this way, because you know what's going to happen in the future, just like the dishonest manager knew what was going to happen in the future, if you understand that and you know what's going to happen, that's going to drive you in how you see your money and how you use your money and how you strategize and what you do and how you plan. He said, if that's the case, if eternity what matters and not here what's temporary, then that should drive your decisions. That should drive how you see your money and how you use your money and how you think about your money. And when you invest in money and loving people and serving people, and then when you do that, you'll earn their favor so that what ultimately happens is that they become a Christian and they become someone that is going to be with you for all eternity and they're going to welcome you into their eternal dwellings. Just like the dishonest manager had. Just like into the physical dwellings of the oil person and the wheat person, they invited them into their physical home. He's saying, you can do the same thing, but they're going to invite you into their eternal home. And when I think about this, It really touches me, you know, because I think about what God entrusts me with money. And really, it's, it's God's money. It's not my money, right? In the other passage, we looked at the first passage where it says the master is giving the, the talents to the person. And then the servant is coming back and saying, look at what your money did. I think you have the right perspective. It's not the servant's money. It's the master's money. And when I think about the money and I think about the purposes, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I give to a lot of different organizations and missionaries, you know, I give to, I think about a missionary in Thailand that, I, that our family supports. And I think about those dollars that are going out. And I think about the money that I'm sowing seeds into. And I was thinking, if this money that I have could go to that place and someone could receive the Lord. And then when I get to heaven and I get to go before the Lord and to see people there and I have someone come up to me that I've never met in my life saying, thank you. Thank you so much for what you did. Thank you so much for what you sowed into. I want to invite you to come into my house now and let's eat together. And I was like, I've never met you before. I don't even know who you are. Well, I'm, I live in Thailand. And the money that you sowed into this missionary, he shared the gospel with me. 
and now I get to be with God forever. And I think, is there anything better we can do with our money? Is there anything more valuable that we can do with our money than this? Is there any bigger return that we can get from our investment? Is there any more profitable thing or useful thing that we can do in our life with our money than this? 100% no. 100%. You have to have eternal perspective. This life is not all there is. And if you think this life is all there is, you're going to be stressed out by money. And money is going to control you instead of you controlling it. One of the, let me, let me end with this. One of the illustrations that I heard that I really, really like and I resonate with is I heard this pastor talk about his money, and he described his money as soldiers. I was like, I've never heard anything like that. But I love that. I love that idea that our money are soldiers. There are soldiers waiting for our command to go out, waiting for God's command and direction to go out. I love that because that sees it in the right perspective. Our money has purpose. It's a purpose. It's a tool. It's like the hammer. You can use it any way you want. It's just a tool. But I love that idea. And so I think about that all the time. Is my money or like my soldiers? How am I going to send out my soldiers? Am I going to have my soldiers all just stay in the camp all day? Can I try to accumulate accumulate more and more soldiers so they could just like hang out in the camp and do nothing? No. I want to give my soldiers an assignment. Give them an assignment. Ask the Lord about an assignment for your soldiers. Send them out to, to do the work. Have the soldiers go do the work. Win the battles. Have the victories. Do the, do the fruitful things. Have your money do something. Not just to serve Things on earth. Now, things on earth are important. Things on earth are important. It's not saying those things are not important, but it can't be the only thing. And if it's the only thing, then it's always going to be a weight. It's always going to be a worry. And it's always going to be a concern. You know, Jesus tells another parable, and he, he talks about, and he says, do not worry. And he says, don't worry. You know, Look at the birds of the air. Do you see them worrying about what they're going to eat or where they're going to be? He uses that analogy, right? He says, look at the birds. They're not worried. Like I see them like chirp, 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 chirp. They don't seem like worried to me. Like I don't know what's going on in their little brain, but they don't seem worried to me. They seem pretty happy. They're singing, right? But they don't have a job. They don't get paid. Nobody gives them a paycheck. They don't have the grocery store. They don't have a store to go to. They have no idea where their next meal is going to come from. They don't have a bank. They don't have a credit card. They don't have any source of income. How do they know where, how are they going to live? How are they going to know where their next meal is going to come from? They don't. They don't. But they're not worried. And then Jesus uses that analogy and says, look at the birds of the air. I feed them. Aren't you more important than them? 
aren't you more important than the birds? And the answers are resounding, yes. You're more important than the birds. You're more important to God than that. And at the end of that passage, he says this. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things, all of these necessities that you're worrying about will be given unto you. He's talking about priorities and perspective. He's not saying that those needs are not important. He's not saying what you're going to eat and your clothes that you wear are not important. He's not saying that. But he's saying what has your heart. If you seek first the kingdom and put me first, then those things will be given to you because God already knows you need them. He knows you need them. But he wants our heart. He wants our heart. And we can't let money have our heart. Money, I like to say that money is an okay passenger, but not a good driver. Money is not nothing. Money, is a, money can be a passenger in your car, but don't let money be the driver. Don't let money be the driver. Money is not nothing, but money is not everything. God is the one in control. He is the one in control. He is the reason we're alive, not money. God is the reason we're alive and breathing, not money. We have to get that straight. We have to get that clear. We have to not serve money. We have to let money serve us. And that is regardless of how much you have. Whether you have a little or a lot, let it be serving you and blessing you and not burdening you and not being a heavy weight for you to carry. Let's pray. So, Father, I just want to join with my fellow brothers and sisters and say, like, it is stressful, <laughs> you know, because money is such a, a vital part of our life and our existence, that it is something. But I pray right now that we would have your heart and your perspective, that you don't want those things to dominate us. You don't want those things to control us. You don't want those things to determine our heart, our feelings, our hope, our perspective, our joy. And so if that's the case, we want to pray right now that you'd restore that joy that was taken away by money, taken away by the love of money or the concern of money or the worry about money. And although money could be a passenger, we don't want money to be the driver in our life. We want you to be the driver. We want the one who feeds the birds and takes care of everything in creation. We want that person to be first and that person to drive and for us to come under his care and trust in him. So thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that you're in control of all things and that you love us so, so much. In Jesus' name, amen.